0: We'll get right back into our study. Uh, Before we took off and went to uh, Israel, we were on day six, and so we're going to look at day six. I'm going to actually take two messages on the creation of man because this is the apex of creation. Uh, We need to understand who we are, how we fit into this whole thing, how we're made in the image of God. I think this is really important for you to understand, so we're going to take a little extra time on these verses, but tonight we uh, are looking at the creation of man um, in this historical account of creation. Remember, Genesis is God's history. Um, it's, a, it's a historical narrative all about creation, and we're here at the uh, end of day six. Really, I think the beginning of day six happened really quick when God spoke the cattle and the creeping things into existence, and then he spends the rest of the day on his creative work making man in his image. So that's where we are tonight. So with your Bibles open... And uh, your electronic devices focus there on uh, Genesis, the Bible in front of you. That's the key, the Bible in front of you tonight. Uh, let's ask God's blessing. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. And I, I'm so grateful that we have uh, this record of history. Lord, we're not left guessing, but you've given us a clear word. And I pray that we, as your people, as we come to the word and as it challenges everything we've been taught, Truly, this this is is radically different than everything that we're taught in our secular world. Uh, Most of us going to secular schools. Lord, just help us, Lord, to see your word and the veracity and the truth of it. And I really pray that that would be the emphasis tonight, that your people would embrace your word and believe you and your record. So, Lord, teach us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, in Jesus. Amen. Now, one of the things that strikes me as I study Genesis, and hopefully as you read Genesis, is just the the ultimate power of God. His power is so clearly shown in this first chapter of Genesis that when you consider the immensity of the universe, and we we spent a couple of weeks looking at that uh, as well, when you think of the power and the force that it would take to create The billions and billions of galaxies that contain billions and millions of stars. We're talking about power. Um, We we use that word amazing all the time uh, for for different things. Or awesome. And you've heard me say this before. You know, a cup of coffee is awesome, but nothing compared to God's creative power. And that's really what we're saying here. Um, I use the term His ineffable glory. You can look that one up, Word of the Night ineffable. But it's a word that, that just really helps us uh, to understand God because he is inexpressible. And that's really what that word means. The power of God uh, is inexpressible. And so let's begin reading. And I just want to kind of go beginning there at, at uh, Genesis 1 and kind of run through the days of creation. So let's run through those days, beginning in verse 1. And remember, I gave you the Hebrew for this, Reshith, Elohim, what? Bara or bara. Very good. So this is the first words here. In the beginning, reshith, God, Elohim, created, bara, or ex nihilo in the Latin, from nothing. God creates everything from nothing. That's what the scriptures teach. The heavens and the earth. Now, again, I believe that God did it, and I, I take this literally. This is, again, Genesis uh, this is the account um, that, that uh, reveals how God created the known universe. And so from the very beginning, I believe in the literal interpretive view of the scriptures. And you'll hear me say that a few times, but I, I really want you to get that. You either believe that God created or you don't. You either believe that he created like it says in Genesis or you believe in something additional and you have to insert it in these verses. And I want you to keep that in mind. I'm, I'm not here to, to uh, do anything more than just teach the word of God. And that's what it says. And again, that's what I, I believe. Because if you believe in evolution in any, any way, shape, or form, you have to insert that into these scriptures. Now, that's really the debate, isn't it? whether God created or whether it evolved. That's the debate that everyone faces. We all know that. We understand that. But if you put your place and in, in, take literally the Scriptures, you won't have any trouble believing in the veracity of the rest of the Bible. It all starts here. That's why I make such a big deal about this. Because if you don't believe it in Genesis 1, you won't believe it later. I'll give you some examples in a moment. So God created all that we have here, and that's what Genesis is telling, this true, accurate account. And so, I again, I believe what this first verse says. Uh, God is a powerful creator. Just how powerful is he? Look at verse 3. And God said, God spoke, let there be light, and there was. So that's how powerful God is. Verse 4, and God saw it. And it was good. He divided it from light from darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night. The evening and morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning. How many evenings are there in a 24 hour period? How many? How many mornings in a 24 hour period? We're talking about a solar day here. Got that? That's really important. Day two, separation of water, verse six. Then God spoke, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the water. Remember I described that very sliver between the atmosphere, water above, and the water covering the earth. That's what God is hovering over this now. He's starting to create the known universe. Day two, separation of of water. Day three, the water and plants. Verse 9, then God said, let the water under the heavens be gathered together in one place. So all the waters were kind of out there, and now they're gathered together in one place and and let dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 11, then God spoke again, let the the earth bring forth grass, the herb or vegetation that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is, is in itself. On the earth. And it was so. Again, look at verse 13. There was evening and what? Morning, third day, day four, beginning in verse 14 sun, moon, and stars. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night, and let them be a sign for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights of the firmament of of heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. And he made stars also. Just threw that in there. I love that. God set them in the firmament, verse 17, of the heavens to give light on the earth. And then at the end of verse 18, and God saw it was good, verse 19, there was evening and morning the fourth day. So again, you have to think about God's awesome power. And and listen, is anything as powerful as God? Think about it. That's, that's the bottom line here. We're supposed to understand this and get this, that God is, is speaking everything into existence, the power that comes from his lips. It's amazing. All of the heavens, all of the lights you see, everything that you can't see. For, for light years that go on and on, we can't even imagine how large the universe is. There's billions of stars and galaxies out there. But again, God's creative Uh, ability and power there. Day five, verse 20, sea creatures and birds. Then God spoke again, let the waters around or abound with an abundance of notice. This is the first time this phrase is used, living creatures, living creatures right there on day five, birds and fish. And then verse 23, evening and morning, the fifth day. Now again, at the beginning of every day, same method of creation. How is it? What is it? God what? Spoke. spoke. God's power. That's, that We have to see that. That's his method of creation here. Now, last time, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at day six, and here it is, day six in verse 24, land animals. Then God spoke, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle, creeping thing beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so, and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So on day six, God created earth's Domestic and non domestic animals, and all lizards and reptiles and creepy crawly things that you girls don't like, and even some guys hate spiders and snakes and those kind of things. God made all those things at the beginning of day six. So there you have it. God is actively creating. He created the world to sustain life, and then living on day five, living creatures, but not man. And now we're coming to the culmination of his creation. And that's the creation of man. But God has created the whole universe. Everything in it, in six, count them, literal days, I believe the earth is no more than six or 7,000 years old. Pastor Lee, how could you even think that? That is absurd. That is ridiculous. That's not what my professor, my teacher, my school, the, the pictures I've seen billions of years ago, yeah, the pictures you've seen the illustrations, the theory, Darwin's theory. Unproven, unscientific. I went into great detail and and proved that. Science is repeatable, provable, what? Truth. If it's not repeatable, it's not scientific. If it's not provable, it's not scientific. Darwinian evolution is not repeatable. It's not provable. There's no fossil record. There's never been a bone found that has been traced as a transitional form from one kind to another. Never. There isn't any. You, you have adaptation. Adaptation in our world. There's no doubt. Adaptation. But not a transitional form or kind. It's not there. So I believe what the Scripture teaches here, six literal days, and you might say, wow, that's, that's radical. I, I've never thought of that. And if you've never thought of that, it's just because you've really never been taught this Genesis account in this way. So I'm hoping that you open your heart and mind to hearing God's word. This is God's word. This isn't Lee's word. This is God's word. We just read it. Morning and evening, solar day, six of them. That's what we've just read. Now, when it comes to the creation account, uh, there are many evangelical Christians. In fact, I, I would say more than Most or more than half of evangelical Christians because I grew up in another church and I for years have been pastoring in this church and I've talked to Christians and I know I know I talk to them all the time evangelicals those that believe in the Bible they don't believe what I just told you they really don't believe it they don't believe that the world was created in six literal days and they accept the millions and billions of years of random chance and and mutation They accept that as fact when there really isn't anything to base that on at all. And here's the question I have to ask Christians, not the secular world, not the the local community college or or, uh, uh, UCSB. But here's the question Why would Christians believe in evolution over the creation account that we just read in our Bible? Why? Why would a Christian believe? in evolution over the Bible. Think about that. I know I'm stretching you a little bit tonight, but I really want you to think about that question. Because by believing evolution, you have to deny the clear teaching of Genesis chapter 1. Do you understand that? You have to insert your theory and thought. Now, is anyone a million years old in this room? Now, think about that. And we're not even that old, and we're saying, well, we know, we, we know. We, we know more than, really? Christians, we need to be careful. Christians, be careful. I think those questions are really, really valid. Why would a believer try to change God's word? And here's the answer. Satan. 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 He's the one that fostered the lie. As we move through Genesis, you're going to see Satan fostering a lie, looking so beautiful and wonderful and coming to Eve and, 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 and using his speech and saying, oh God, surely we are not going to die. And she goes, oh, okay. And Adam says, oh, I love her, so I'm going to do the same thing. We'll, we'll see that. Adam's disobedience. I I didn't go into that on Sunday morning when I was teaching about men, but I could have done a whole Bible study on that, how man abdicated, Adam abdicated his responsibility because he was the one that God said, do not eat of this fruit. And after Eve ate of it, he should have rejected her and said, you disobeyed God. But he didn't do that because he loved her more than God. He didn't want to lose his wife. So he ate of the fruit. He loved her. He loved the way she looked. He loved everything about her, and he put her before God, which is a danger, dangerous thing. We'll see that as we move into uh, Genesis three. But again, my view is Genesis one contains God's historical account. It's this record of creation. I believe it literally, and I believe that all scripture is infallible. That all scripture, all of it, not some of it, not my choice. All of it is infallible, all of it is, is, is perfect, it's pure, it's truth. And I need to come to it. It doesn't come to me. I come to the scriptures. I don't try to prove the scriptures. I read the scriptures and say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a knucklehead. I thought this, but this is what scripture says. And I, I need to come to the scriptures and see them as, as infallible and inerrant and true. I also believe that if you try to alter or deny the Scriptures, the veracity of Genesis 1, that's a very serious thing. Christians who, who squeeze evolution into the Scriptures, for whatever reason they do that, I, I, you, know, I, you're deny, you have to deny the power of God. You have to deny His sovereignty. You put your place in a, in a position of, of judging the Scriptures. I mean, just think about that, Christian. You need to be very, very careful about that. You put Darwin's theory above God and his word. Now, I don't think that most Christians even understand that. They don't understand what they're doing. They just go kind of go along because that's the current wisdom, and that's what they've been taught, and that's what the teacher told them. That's what their parents told them. And to not believe that, everybody says, what, you're a jerk. And nobody wants to be a jerk, so you just kind of go along with the flow. Just float along with the current feeling and thought. That's Satan's lie. Satan is drawing people into that current, and we flow in the same river with the world. We're not to do that as Christians. We are not of this world. This world is not our home. And so when it comes to the veracity of Genesis 1, we need to believe it and trust it. Now, when you put yourself above God's word, listen now listen to this, or look at this. This is scary, but I want to sh- show you this. Revelation 22, 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy. Now, this is revelation, but I think it's applica- applicable. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the, what? Plagues, Plagues that are written in this book. In other words, God takes his word seriously. And if Christians don't take it seriously, there's a price to pay. I don't know what that means in terms of Genesis 1. But if you launch out into your own little thing because you think it's right and and leave behind God's word, plague, hmm, it's a powerful word, heavy affliction or wounds, So any Christian, I believe, that denies God's word, there's a price to pay. Now, I was in Israel, too, for for 10 days, just got back. And the Jews are very stiff-necked people, very ornery, very kind and, and considerate. We were in the country and felt really welcome. But the history of the Jew, you read the Old Testament, they constantly rejected God's word. And what did God do to them over and over and over again? he allowed some other country to come in and wipe them out, kill, destroy their cities, take them into captivity. The women are studying Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah went back to rebuild the city. Why? Because it was destroyed. Why? Because the people rejected God. If you reject God's word, even now in 2016, there's going to be a consequence for you, for your family, Christians, and even for a church. We're not, as a church, going to ever deny God's word we're just not going to do it we're going to obey every precept as it's written um, sometimes it's hard to understand but but listen it's really important that we understand that this is God's word if you change the first book of the Bible then what are you going to do with other passages of scripture if you don't believe in the literal creation account that we're reading right now how can you believe Exodus 20 the Ten Commandments and which one of the Ten Commandments are you going to argue away? Because now you become the authority, or I become the authority on the Word of God. Now, you know, thou shalt not kill. I, I can, we can abort babies. It doesn't matter. Who cares about what Exodus says? It doesn't matter. Life, you know, life is what we make it, and women have choices. And Do you see how we can so easily do things and warp the Word of God? Do you understand that? It, you can't do that with, with God's Word. What about Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's what the scriptures tell us. And that Jesus would be the Savior of the world. So if you don't believe Genesis 1 and take it literally, do you take that literally? Do you really believe that? Again, I know I'm making a real big deal about that, but what about John 3? You must be born what? Again. Do you believe that? If you don't believe in some of the precepts in Genesis 1, why do you believe that? Do you pick and choose what you want to believe? Do you understand what I'm saying? And I think it's really important for us to catch this and get this. If you change or alter Genesis to fit your view, you also have to change every other biblical text. And you're going to do it. You're going to do it if you don't believe this. So that's why it's so, so important to get back to Genesis and understand it. And just receive it and believe what it says. Now, tonight we're going to look at God's creation of man. My next point behind me there, God's creation of man. And again, whenever we talk about the creation of man, we have huge conflict. And there's always arguments about man and and evolution and all these things. The creation and evolution debate is still going on today. A biblical creationist believes that man was created like we just read in Genesis 1 exactly as we are tonight, that 6,000, 7,000 years ago, after God created the earth in six days and prepared the earth for man, that he created an adult Adam and an adult Eve, not a baby, not a fetus, not something that had to grow, and, but an adult, a mature, just like the earth was made mature, just like light beams were made mature, everything was made mature, rocks and volcanoes, whatever you want, is made mature. And so that's what the creationist believes. Evolutionists believe that man is lost in a series of mutations over millions of years that took place again and again, and everything evolved from a one-celled creature that started in water, became an amphibian. You've seen the pictures, right? And then it was an ape that crawled around. Notice my picture behind me. You've all seen this, right? slowly to, to, you know, changing these transitional forms from, you know, the back elongated, the legs changed, you know, the arms used to be long and touched the ground, then they got shorter, notice that? I mean, we've all seen that, right? That's what we're taught in state schools. That's what they teach us, the sequence of pictures that, I mean, if you Google this, you'll get a myriad, you get thousands of them. You can spend all day looking at them. I looked at quite a few today myself. There's some really interesting ones. People have been real creative. You know, they have. They go from the the gorilla all the way up to like a Star Wars Darth Vader with the thing in his you know, fighting. You know, people are real creative with that kind of stuff. But but again, this is just a depiction of the sequence of a creature going from you know all fours up to to standing upright, which would uh, define man. Evolutionists tell us that that progression, that progression of human evolution there. And the reason I bring that up is because every one of us that went to public school, and don't raise your hand, but if I asked if you did, most of us in this room did. I went to public school. And that's what you learn, that's what they They still teach it, which is really interesting. There's There's a movement in the last 10 years, they're teaching more of a creator or intelligent design. You've heard some of the debate Um, but still, they're still teaching Darwinian evolution in this picture that you're looking at. But here's the truth about this picture. This picture is illustrations. That's all it is. It's people drawing what they think happened millions of billions of years. If you ask the illustrator or the scientist, were you there? What do you think they're going to tell you? Well, that's stupid. I'm only 60 or 40 or whatever. I'm not a million years old. Well, that's my point. You weren't there. Therefore, you don't know. That's just an illustration. So science, again, is observable, repeatable proof. But there aren't any fossils for transitional forms. Here's what they do, and you know this to be true. They find a bone in some country, Africa somewhere, a bone. And then they build a whole body around the bone, or a jawbone and a tooth. And they build a whole body around it. And they say, look, this is what it looked like. It's all illustrative. It's we all know that. And anthropologists know that. You can go online and look at anthropology, and there's no no one agrees. Everyone will say the same kinds of things. Well, we're not really sure that we think this is what it was. This is our theory. This is what but we believe in billions and millions of years. They they go on and on with human Evolution, but with no proof. So just a brief technical note here. I'm going to give you some words behind me. There's three words that that are Latin words that depict this creation of man in these different forms that have been used for years and years. Ramapithecus is the first one. Australopithecus kiss is the next one, and then Pithecanthropus. I, I did my best on those. Those are Latin names, and, and in every case, there are, are fragments of bones that are found in these different places by anthropologists, and they're used as transitional forms. A bone is used for, to draw a picture, an illustration of a transitional form. Now, about, it's about 35 years ago. Does anyone in this room remember, and this just flashed in my brain, Lucy. Do you remember Lucy? National Geographic, and not Lucille Ball. (laughs) Lucy, they found Lucy in Australia, and they made a big deal about Lucy. Lucy was the biggest find in in the late 70s, early 80s. Big, big deal. It was was huge. I mean, I remember reading about it. I had, had to study it. Uh, in school, but Lucy's bones were presented as evidence of this Australopithecus. There, and here was the the point was that they found Lucy, and Lucy looked like she could have walked upright. Of course, it was just a few bones that they found, but they used her as evidence that that she was more human. But when they studied Lucy, and they took bones, and they m- measured those bones, and they compared them to other animals, they found out that Lucy swung from trees. Lucy was an orangutan. She was an orangutan. She was not a person. And that was proven. They did all kinds of testing, and the anthropologist finally admitted. But it was about 25 years later, after you, had, you might have learned that. That was in my era. And so here you have Lucy, again, she's swinging from trees. So modern anthropology, is now using DNA. And they take DNA samples, and they take those DNA samples and they check them against other things. And they're discovering that all of these supposed transitional forms, the three Latin words that I just mentioned, I'm not going to try to pronounce them again, um, through DNA always go back to animals. They don't go to humans. They're all animals. See, DNA kind of tells them so much more. There was a creation scientist named Marvin Lubinau And he writes a book, and we use this book when I was, um, when we were raising our kids. It's called. It's a very interesting book called Bones of Contention. Now he comes from a perspective of Christian. This would be a great book for you if you have children learning evolution in schools. Parents, you've got to teach them the truth because they're learning a lie. So you get the book, Bone of Contentions, and you help them. Again, the author is Marvin Lubinow. If you want to know, I can tell you later. But he's, again, Baker Books. We used to have it. I don't have it right now in the bookstore. But you can order it online, uh, Bones of Contention. And if you want to study more about the supposed transitional forms, all of it's in his book. Uh, Again, I looked at it today it's way too much to read in one day, but I, it was fun to look again and remind myself of those things. Dwayne Gish is, is, uh, is a Christian um, anthropologist and scientist. This is what he says. Notice behind me on the screen. There's no evidence either in the present world or in the world of the past that man has ar- arisen from some lower creature. There's no transitional forms. There's no conclusive evidence there are scientists that will say those things even secular anthropologists will say well you know we're not really sure and there I I could give you some quotes but I I don't want to go too far and deeply into that well let's begin reading here in verse 26 that's my big intro but we're talking about the creation of man and and all the debates surrounding it I want you to understand that verse 26 says then God spoke here it is again let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That sentence would jump off the page. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, what God just created, the birds of the air and over the cattle and earth, everything created in the last, since day five, the living creatures, that's what he's saying, the creepy things on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, which is really a, a carbon copy of what he just said in verse 26. Then, verse 28, he blessed them, speaking of man and woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you. Who's he given it to? Man. I've given you every." Vegetable or vegetation or herb that that yields seed on the face of the, the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. So vegetarians unite here. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. Again, Vegetation, vegetarianism was the way. When Adam and Eve, they didn't eat meat. There was no death. They just ate vegetables. And you have certain organs in your body that are we call vestigial, like the spleen and the what's the other one, appendix, that that are really used when you eat a lot of vegetables. God made your body to eat those things, but we changed. And it's okay that you eat red meat. I, I had a double double yesterday, so. You're not sinning by doing that, but, but again, God created all these things for food. God created the planet, and he prepared the planet for man. That's the point here. And it was so, verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed it was, here it is, very good. And then, look at, there was evening and morning the sixth day. There's, there's the completion of God's creation. Now let's look at verse 26. It starts with God speaking again. Speaking man into existence. Then God said, and then look at verse 27, and God created. That's really the same thing. God created by speaking. It's known as divine fiat, fiat, God's power, God's authority, God's sovereignty, and he creates by speaking. And then in verse 26 there, we have this major change from the rest of the text until this point. And I want you to notice it. It says in verse 3, go back to verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. Verse 6, God said, let there be a firmament. Verse 9, let the waters be under the heavens. Verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, and then verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth or let there be, let there be. He says it over and over. And when we get to verse 26, notice the difference. Let us. It's very personal. The creation of man is very personal to God. Let there be light. Let there be these things. Let there be. And then he says, but let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. We need to catch the, in, the importance of that statement, the, the language there. Let us make man in our image. What we have here is the Trinity in creation. This is the Trinity, and if you notice that phrase, it's interesting. Let us make man in our image or our likeness. There's three different statements in that phrase there, but us and our image and our likeness. I see the triune God right there. Now, let me stop and say this, that the Bible teaches that we have one God, but he is in three persons, There's three persons in the Godhead. When you read through the Old Testament, there are different verses. I could have brought a whole bunch to you. I'm going to show you some. Uh, The New Testament alliterates it a little bit more. But first we start, go back to verse 1. Go all the way back to verse 1 in Genesis 1. In the beginning, look at the word God. That's Elohim. That's actually a plural name for God. It's not a singular. That's a plural name for God. And from that we get, in my belief, that God is a trinity but we start with God, Elohim. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And then here it is. Look at the Spirit of God. Who is the Spirit of God? The third person of the Godhead. So we have God and we have God the Spirit right here in the first couple of verses and right here in in verse 2. Now, we could make the The claim, and I could show you a bunch of Old Testament verses, but I want to jump to the New Testament. Look at this verse here, John 1. You're all familiar with John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who's he talking about? Who's the Word? Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through the second person of the Godhead. Who's the second person of Godhead? Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches, Old and New Testament, that we have one God, but he's known in three different persons. And they're all distinct. They all have power. They all have divinity. But only one of those three became a man, the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made. So there we have Jesus involved in creation. Genesis 1, Elohim. Genesis 2, the Spirit. John 1 tells the same thing, that in the beginning, God, Jesus was involved in creation. Very important for us to understand that and we know that as Jesus. In verse 14, if you would continue through this John 1, you get to verse 14. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. Who's that talking about? Jesus. Jesus. That's the incarnation. That's, we're going to celebrate Easter. Jesus came, Christmas, incarnation. He died 33 years later. Public, three years of public ministry. Miracles. I was just on the Sea of Galilee. I was just at Capernaum. I was just at Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. I, I, was, I walked in the places where my Lord walked. It's an incredible, incredible, life-changing experience. And for those of us that went, they're, it's, it's insane. You're just like in awe. But it's Jesus, Jesus, that became a man to take upon our sin, and we're going to celebrate Easter. It's just a couple weeks away. The God-man came to be the sinless sacrifice for my sin and for yours and died on the cross. What a great celebration. It's coming. Easter's coming. Easter really is every day for the Christian, but it's coming, and we're going to celebrate. It's going to be a great thing. We've got a lot planned here at the church as well. But Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. But here in Genesis 1, look at verse 26 again. We're introduced to the fact that God is more than one. Let us make man in our image. Again, this is God's record. This is his record, not mine, not yours. This is God's record. And he says, let us make man in our image. So again, this is a clear reference to the Trinity. And again, it's, it's made more manifest and clear in the New Testament than the Old. In the Old, it's a mystery. In the New Testament, Jesus come. And we have him revealed. We see him. The word became flesh, John 1. So really important for us to catch that. We don't have all of this conversation. Do you get the sense there's a conversation here? Let us make man in our image. There's a conversation going on. Who, are the, who is God talking to? Some have said he's talking to angels. I, I don't think so. I believe it's God the Father talking to God the Son, God the Spirit. They're having this conversation. Hey, the world's created. It's all ready. The plan is in place. Everything that we've designed, everything that we want is happening. And so now it's time. At the end of day six, now the world's prepared, the universe for man. Here it is, vegetation ready for, for them to eat. Let us make man in our image. It's time. There's a conversation going on here. Let me show you this conversation at the end of Revelation. We see this in chapter 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the of the uh, lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb that was slain. Now, if you go to If you go to chapter 18, you'll see the opposite. But but here's the point, that there's this book of life where the lamb is slain from the foundation of the world, and there's this book. And from the foundations of the world, there's a conversation going on. God has written some names in a book, and there's the names of people that are going to go to hell, and there's the names of people that have eternal life in the book. That's what this is saying. Slain, Jesus Christ, slain from the foundations of the world. There's a conversation going on here. It's an incredible truth here. Before the creation of the earth, there's a conversation. Before the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, the Godhead is having this conversation and there's names written in a book. Do do you get that? This is an amazing thing. It'll blow your brains. But it's a good thing. It's a good stretch for you. And the Godhead is talking about people or names recorded in a book. So the question is, whose names? Whose names are in there? Well, I know which book my name's in. Do you know which book your name's in? If your, book, if your name is written in the book of life, you're a Christian. The way to get your name written in the book of life is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you know your name is written in that book of life. Paul said something about this conversation, and we studied it a few months ago in Ephesians. Notice what he says in Ephesians 1. I love this verse, Ephesians 1. Just as he chose us in him, when did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. Do you see that right there? Is that not a mind blower? God is having this conversation let us make man in our image. Why? Why does he want to make man? Because he's got this plan of salvation. He's got this plan of redemption. The most beautiful truth and his grace and his love that he wants to display. And now it's time to make man in God's image. And I love what he goes on here. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I love that verse. I remember teaching on that verse when we were in the very beginning of Ephesians. It's an amazing truth. Salvation, redemption has always been God's plan from before the world was created, before the foundations of the world. Now, I know that's hard for you to imagine. It's hard for us to go there, right? But when I read that, I go, oh, God, your plan is so awesome. And here he has this conversation. Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. I love that. Here's a couple more proof texts in the New Testament. 2 Timothy, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Look at this next one. This next one is Titus. Titus 1 in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love that? I love that, that God's love has, has been displayed and it's been on display and it's been God's purpose from the beginning to display his love in this wonderful uh, redemptive purpose of man. It, it's, it's phenomenal. It's awesome. So when we read, go back to verse 26 and look at it with me. God said, let us make man. That's the moment that the Trinity finally got together and said, okay, it's time. It's time. Let's put the plan into action here. They discussed the plan. They planned the plan before the foundations of the world. It's an amazing truth. So the next question is, when did the conversation take place? Well, we know it's before the foundations. It's before day six, before the creation. So think about it. God has prepared the planet. He's got everything in order. And then he steps up and he says, it's time. And the Trinity, it's time. This is what we planned on. Let make man now in our image and our likeness. Now, what am I learning or t- what am I teaching and what are we to learn from this? We're to learn that man is unique and very different from the animal and plant life in the world that God's created. We're very, very unique because we're made in the image of God. Look at chapter 2. Just jump forward to verse 7. I know you're anxious to move on here, but we're going to do this verse later. but, But look at it with me. Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Your body is just a bunch of chemistry. You've heard the, the stories and the jokes about, you know, you're mainly water. You're only a, a few, you know, like 7% of material. You're mainly water. If you squeeze yourself down to, to elements, you're, you're, you're just not very, you're liquid. You're, and when you die, that liquid goes away, and guess what? your body just goes back into the elements of the earth. Just like the plants, just like the animals, we're all made of the chemistry of the earth, the dust of the ground. That's how God formed Adam. He's a mud ball, really. He gets the dust together, and he makes, it. He makes Adam. So that's why us guys like to play with mud and big, heavy equipment and watch digging things, you know, because that's who we are. We love that stuff. But, but that's really what this is teaching us, that we are made of the raw materials of, of the earth. So what's the difference between man... And then all other created things. Plants and trees were never called living creatures. Plants and trees or vegetation or herbs, like it says here in the text, they've never been called living creatures. They're living, but they don't move. They don't walk around. You've never seen a tree move unless you're watching like The Hobbit or something. But trees don't move. Grass doesn't go from one place to another. It just grows, and it lives for its life cycle, and it dies. And verse 11 and verse 12 of Genesis 1 here, it's called vegetation or herbs, but they're never called living creatures. It, when you get to verse 20, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. So this is a distinction between plant life and animal life. Animal life is a living creature, birds and fish. And, uh, a fish and and all the creatures on the planet that move around, living creatures. The difference between animals and plant life is animals, like I said, move around. And, and animals have a consciousness. Plants don't have a consciousness, right? We would agree upon that. But animals have a consciousness. The difference between man and animals is animals have a consciousness, but they don't have self-consciousness. They don't have we think, oh, our little Fifi has a personality, but they really have a personality like other fifis, really. And, and they're, they're unique but unique to plant life. They're animals. that's what the, God made them animals. And animals, like I said, they have consciousness, but they don't have self-consciousness. You can train a dog to do certain things, right? You can train them to sit, shake hands. Mainly, you do it with food, right? That's how you train your dog, mainly because they want to get something. It's like, it's like a, a dolphin, you know, that gets on its tail and gets up to the, the uh, uh, woman or man, the, the biologist at SeaWorld, and they give them food, give them food to do whatever they want them to do. You can train an animal to do that stuff, but animals don't have self-consciousness that's the main difference. They're not self-conscious. You ever watch an animal do whatever they do right in front of you? you now, There's a whole variety of things they do right in front of you. And there's no, they're not self-conscious. That's the, they're not. They do whatever they want to do. That's the distinction between man and animals. They don't possess a living soul. They don't have an eternal destiny like man does. Man is made in the image of God. Animals are not made in the image of God. Man is made in a triunity. We'll see that. We're going to talk about that next week. But animals are different. When animals die, they go to dust. When our bodies die, our bodies go to dust, right? But our soul goes where? To judgment. You know, you're saying heaven because you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, your soul doesn't go to heaven. But you are made in the image of God. You are eternal, you're like God in that way. You have been made eternal. That's the difference between animal and, and man. Man is made in the image of God. We have an eternal nature, an eternal side. We have self-consciousness. We think. We stand upright. We have the ability to worship and think and, and have cognition. And we'll talk more about that again next week, the difference between uh, man and, and animal. But man lives eternally the body dies and returns to dust but the person the soul lives forever because we're made in the image and the likeness of God so finally finally the difference between man and animals is language think about that you can teach a dog a couple of words i had a dog i trained the dog and my dog learned several things and Um, My brother here in the room tonight trains dogs, and you can train a dog, simple commands. But a dog can't translate into other languages. We can translate, and some of you speak many different languages. That is unique to a man that an animal cannot do. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next time. Man communicates through language, and, and through communication we have deep relationship, and that's what we were created for. Now, you can have a relationship with an animal, and it's a good one, man's best friend and, and little Fifi, and that's and it's good. I'm not putting that down. That's, it's true, and we have connections to animals. There's nothing false about that. But, but we were created to relate to, in a deep way with other human beings and, more importantly, to God. And if you want to know how that works, you've got to come back next week, <laughs> and we'll talk about it next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word.